everything about the job I loved. I even liked um, uh, fundraising. I mean, y you get alcohol if you're old enough and, and finger food, which is now my favorite meal, uh, hors d'oeuvres. And uh, I, I really liked all of it. Welcome to the first Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast of 2019. My name is Eric Dank. We're very grateful to have the opportunity to hear from all five of the spring 2019 GU Politics Fellows. They're a really fun group from both sides of the aisle, and I really enjoyed my conversation with them. In the coming months, GPPR will get to have more in-depth talks with each fellow, but this episode is an introduction to the fellows, their plans for their semester on campus, and of course, how they're rethinking governance. Before we get to the show, a reminder to keep an eye out for details of the spring edition launch. Uh, the launch will be in early April or maybe late March, uh, including the reveal of our keynote speaker in the coming weeks. Also, check out gppreview.com for our staff's latest content, including the third part in a series on the Rohingya crisis, an article on modern migrant policies, and the second installment on South Asian insurgencies, this one on Sri Lanka. Now, on to the show. So we're very lucky to be joined today by all five of the Spring 2019 GU Politics Fellows. Uh, I'm going to let you all go around the table and introduce yourselves. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and then why you're here at Georgetown this semester, especially what your discussion groups are about and what you're uh, excited about for the semester. Uh, my name is Dan Senna. I am the outgoing uh, executive director of the DCCC. My job this past two years was to win back the House of Representatives for the Democrats, uh, which, which we were successful in doing, so I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you. We're, I'm incredibly excited and just so honored to be part of, of, of this team of fellows. Uh, it's just been amazing to, to see the folks at McCourt and see the folks at GU, GU Politics just the last 24 hours have been an amazing experience. So very, very excited. The students have been amazing already. Uh, and so I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, my big focus will be on the 18 elections and looking at the 20 elections and just looking at lessons learned in 18 and how they're applying to 20. How are the presidential races using some of the, some of the, the best lessons from 18, but also really pulling back the curtain for 18 and, and talking a little bit about some of the behind the scenes. We're gonna bring in folks from both sides of the aisle to keep it balanced and mixed, um, but we're really gonna pull back the curtain on everything from message strategy to scandals with candidates to um, bots and trolls and all kinds of things that, that, that happen online. So incredibly excited to be here and just really honored to be part of this great team of folks. When is your class? Uh, my class, thank you, great, great call. Uh, my, my discussion groups will be Mondays at two o'clock. Hi, my name is Paulette Anaskoff. I've been working in politics for about 20 years now, and most of them have been uh, with President Obama. Um, I ran an office in the White House called the Office of Public Engagement, and while I was there, I had an opportunity to see advocates from all over the country come in and work with us on the issues that mattered to them. They really wanted to shape public policy, they wanted to see change, and I saw a lot of great advocacy, and I saw a lot of bad advocacy, and really want to make sure that I am leading a discussion that talks about how citizens, whether they be students, or moms, or high school kids, whatever it is, um, they want to do to shape public policy and make social change, that they understand the tools that might work, um, the strategies that they can try, and what doesn't work. Um, I'm also really interested in seeing what is next in advocacy and what students think is going to be coming 
to make change in the future. So that is what my discussion group is about. When is it going to be? Did you did you already say that? I, did, did, I, did I steal Thank your you. thing, Ellie? Sorry. Um, uh, my discussion group is on Thursdays from four to five thirty. Uh, I'm Jonathan Capehart. I'm going to say at the outset, my discussion group is Wednesday, <laughs> 4 to 5.30. Uh, I'm an ink-stained wretch who goes on TV and talks talks politics. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, I'm an opinion writer with Washington Post and an MSNBC contributor, and uh, I am thrilled to be a GU Politics fellow. It's my first time doing this. I don't know if anybody else has done this sort of thing before, um, but I'm very much looking forward um, to the discussion groups, to really learning from the students as much as they want to learn from me. I'm really uh, interested and eager to hear what they have to say. My discussion group is really geared to demystifying what it's like to be an opinion writer in particular, but also a journalist in general. And so I'm trying through the over the eight weeks to start from the basics of you know what's news, to the difference between news and opinion, to what I'm calling identity politics, how as an opinion writer, I and other opinion writers bring their all of themselves to, to their writing. Um, and then talking about outside influences, oh, sorry, Paulette, <laughs> outside in influences uh, on a journalist. And then I think the second half of, of the discussion groups will be about hands-on so I have one thing called, so you want to be a pundit. I think a lot of people think it's easy to just sit on television and pop off about news of the day, but it's not. And so I want to talk about that and then put people in a chair. You think it's so easy? Okay, let's do it. Um, and then in the end, my hope is with my student strategy team is that the, the final discussion group will be an actual taping of my podcast for the Washington Post. And so we'll spend the eight weeks trying to figure out who do we want, can we get them, can we get them here, and how to pull it off. And so that's, I'm very much looking forward to doing all of this stuff. I, I just hope it's as interesting as I hope it would be. Hi, my name is Antonia Ferrier. My discussion groups, I think Jonathan set this up right, is to let you all know off the bat, it is Mondays at 4 o'clock, and I've forgotten this about 50 times over the past 24 hours. Um, uh, my discussion group is learning to love the noise, how to survive and thrive in politics today. There is so much noise out there. How do you know what noise to listen to? We are all here in Washington, D.C. You all are so lucky and have earned your right to be here at Georgetown in the middle of it all. But does America care what anything about what all this noise is? And how do we figure out who's listening to what, how, and why? The 2016 elections, no, none of the conventional wisdom here in Washington thought Donald Trump was going to win. But you know what? Voters in America elected him. Who were they and why? So we're going to sort of look at that, all the different... Um, going sort of some of what Paulette was talking about, how are, has the electorate influenced? Who do they listen to? How do they get their information? Is it too much information? Are they tuning things out? Um, there was a pretty famous song over the past uh, couple of years, uh, This is America. We're going to talk about what is America and who is out there. It's not the America that a lot of people think it is, and we're going to look at that and examine why and how to break through. Um, I worked for a very long time in the halls of Congress. Um, my last job was working for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. 
Um, he is a very misunderstood figure, um, and Congress is a very misunderstood institution. Um, and so I hope to sort of demystify some of that as well and look at how are the best strategies to actually get things done. There's a lot of talk about there's no action. Well, how do you get action and what breaks through? And if something does pass and no one cares, did it actually happen? So there's a lot of different things that we're actually going to be talking about. Um, I also hope to demystify the fact that Republicans can be cool. Um, my favorite band is The Clash, and I am wearing leather pants today. <laughs> I think uh, the pe young people listening would say, The Clash? What? That's so <laughs> 90s. But uh, my name is uh, Ileana Ross Leighton, and uh, I had been a, a member of Congress for many, many, many years, longer than you've been on God's green earth, uh, almost 30 <laughs> years. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. I didn't get discouraged or disillusioned, and uh, everything about the job I loved. I even liked uh, uh, fundraising. I mean, y you get. Wow. Alcohol, if you're <laughs> old enough, and, and finger food, which is now my favorite meal, uh, hors d'oeuvres. And uh, I, I really liked all of it, so I, I didn't quit. I didn't uh, let go of it because I was tired of it. No, I got to help wonderful constituents in my, in my district. I represent, represented Miami, Miami Beach, Coral Gables, Key Biscayne, Little Havana. I mean, what's not to love? But all the time that I've been in Congress, 29 years, I served on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I was the, the chairman uh, for a little bit of time and also the, the ranking member, which means you were the top of the heap in your committee of, of the party that's not in power. So, and Tom Lantos was the chairman at the time, one of my idols. And I got to serve with a lot of wonderful people and I have a different concept of Congress than most people have because they really are a lot of good people who are doing the right thing for all the right reasons. But my discussion group, which will be Tuesdays from 4 to 5.30, will be about uh, uh, Congress and American foreign policy. Who's in charge? Who calls the shots? From where do they get their power? Does the Constitution grant them that, those powers? Uh, is it just by tradition? And we'll look at uh, different case studies every, every week. Um, Israel, Cuba, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, covert action, uh, uh, authorization for the use of military force, very controversial topic. Should we be in Syria? Who, who, who determines that? And uh, so I look forward, as all of my wonderful cohorts here have said, to learning a lot from the students. So I, I hung around a lot of members of Congress. I'm anxious to hang around uh, much younger folks with a different mindset. So <laughs> there are no right or wrong answers. We look forward to a, a healthy discussion. So sign up for any of our courses and, or all of our courses. And I hear that food is a, an interesting item here. I do not come <laughs> with barbecue meals, but I'll try to bring some Cuban pastries. We'll start the first Tuesday. I'll bring croquetas from Versailles or La Carreta and uh, and I don't know if I can make Cuban coffee on campus, but I will try. Gracias. So now that you've all introduced yourselves and everything, I think that one thing that I'm particularly interested in is there's a lot of, we talked about noise being out there and what's important and what's not. I think a lot of that noise too tends to be really negative. Um, and I was curious if there's an event, an idea, policy, a movement, what makes you optimistic about the future? Because I, I feel like a lot of the discussion is about why we shouldn't be, 
and I try to be an optimistic person, and I'm always interested in on why other people are optimistic. So you can take that in any order that you like if anybody wants to volunteer. My background is I lost my native country where I was born, Cuba, to communism. So to me, debates and, and, and negotiations and breakdown of communication and, oh, my gosh, finger-pointing, I think that's a sign of a healthy democracy. So I'm very optimistic about the future. I wake up every day glad to be an American living in this wonderful country. And uh, so I think the future looks great. And, uh, and young people will determine what that future is. I realize that uh, Congress has a, a very low uh, rating in terms of popularity or favorability. We've earned it. We earned that low slot. But, uh, but there are a lot of hopeful signs, and, and uh, I think young people will lead the way. So I'm always optimistic about the future. I would say, you know, the news, there's a, there's a long-time adage before anyone at Georgetown knew that there were, there was this long-time adage about newspapers, what is black, white, and red all over as a newspaper. News tends to focus on the negative, and understandably right, it's understandable. Conflict um, is important to understand, um, understanding the sort of fissures and all of that, but there are good and positive things happening. Um, I'm going to stick up for Congress a little bit here, um, mainly because I worked there for so long, so someone's got to do it. Um, you know, last year there were actually, there was legislation we did pass that we were quite proud of, bipartisan legislation. I know there are probably a lot of feelings about what happened with the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, understandable. At the exact same time, we were passing an opioids bill, a ginormous, very important piece of legislation that impacts states and communities across the country with an epidemic that is killing countless Americans. And we passed a bipartisan farm bill. Again, if you're not in farming America, it may not matter to you, but it matters in a lot of places and parts of the country. So, you know, you may not like the tax bill, but we did pass that. So there are things that happen um, and that are important. It's just a lot of noise. And a lot of noise is focused on the president, and uh, he drives that message, and so it's very hard to sort of not see that. But I would also like to say, in terms of Ileana's point, with all the negative, that's also a driving force to make you all as students want to go and attenuate good and positive change. And so if you feel negatively about it, then you should get involved and be a part of the process. Um, I grew up a Democrat, and if you'd asked me when I was 13 years old what my dream job was, I wanted to be Secretary General of the United Nations. And it was with that passion that I went to college and thought I wanted to change the world. Now, I'm probably a little more jaundiced and uh, skeptical than I was at that time, the age you all are now, but it is that passion which drives politics. It is you all are the ones that staff campaigns, that work in offices, that bring the passion and the fire. And so you are needed. You are the fuel and the engines of the future. So um, so take note. Things aren't as bad as sometimes they think they are. Uh, and to Ileana's point, we could all be living under a terrible communist regime yeah. somewhere else, and we don't. So you all express yourselves, and that's a demonstration of the health of our democracy. I am very optimistic and I think that one of the reasons that I am so optimistic is people are paying attention and a lot of them are getting involved for the first time ever and I think that never goes away once you get involved it's a little bit addictive and it's really hard for it to go away and I don't know if, if other people have had this experience but when you're the geeky political one and you're trying to convince all your friends to get political uh, and then suddenly a wave of friends that didn't care before are asking you, what should I do? How do I get involved? I care about this issue. It's awesome. 
And I love that people are not just focusing on the presidential campaigns anymore, but thinking about local issues. They're thinking about the criminal justice system. Um, they're stepping up to care about their fellow Americans, their fellow humans. Uh, and I just think people speaking out, transparency, and more citizens being involved is a healthy thing. And I think um, that's not going to go away. And I think this generation will, frankly, be better because of it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, I, I think the, the, the change starts in places like Georgetown and like GU politics. And with the types of students we've already had sort of the, the privilege of getting to spend time with in the last 24 hours, you know, my, my job was to help win back the majority and secure a Democratic uh, majority in the House. We had record turnout across the country, everywhere from Washington State all the way down to Southern Florida. And the fact that there were so many people, whether you had big targeted races, or you had sort of just mom and pop local elections this cycle, turnout at record numbers, whether millennials, Hispanic, African-Americans, women, like across the board, the enthusiasm for both Democrats and Republicans was really through the roof. That says change is happening. That, that says that the debate that is happening really before folks get into office, or as a byproduct of folks who are already in office, is already causing change and a catalyst for, for things to move forward. So, so I am incredibly heartened by the fact that, that we just had a midterm where the turnout was the highest it's been in, in 60 years. So, so I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, I'm going to bring it back to Florida and be very <laughs> hyper-specific. Um, what makes me optimistic, I can boil it down to a name, um, Alfonso Calderon, who is a Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, survivor. And he and a bunch of the, the um, Parkland kids, and I use the word kids deliberately, um, went to Tallahassee and petitioned their government to protect them. And he said something that just stuck with me and helped turn me around in terms of my dark mood and made me optimistic. And he said, I personally am prepared to drop out of school. I am prepared to not worry about anything else besides this because change might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. It might not even come March 24th when we march for our lives down in Washington, but it's going to happen and it's going to happen before my lifetime because I will fight every single day. That someone is 15 or 16 years old. The fact that he recognizes that it's not gonna happen immediately tells me that my future and our country's future is in good hands. And so why am I optimistic? I'm optimistic because of him. I am optimistic because of your generation. And I use the word kids because it was a bunch of kids 50 years ago who led the civil rights movement and made us a better country. And, and Alfonso Calderon and your generation, the generation of the people who are listening to this are going to make us a better country. So just a quick last question while we wrap it all up. Already? I what? Everybody. I know. It's really quick. But the good news is that I'll reach out to all of you individually to be able to do individual podcasts. We can get a little bit deeper into some of the things we've talked about, mentioned today, a lot of interesting topics. So those will be, those will be really great. But um, before I, I left, I'd be, I'd be remiss not to talk about the Georgetown Public Policy Review's theme for the spring and our journal that we uh, solicit submissions for is rethinking governance. It's really, really broad. Um, we have some subtopics, but in sort of the flip side of the optimistic uh, side of the coin, how are you all rethinking governance in your areas of expertise? How do you think 
other people are rethinking governance in um, productive ways. Well, I think in, in terms of foreign affairs, um, because President Trump is so ginormous, to use your word, uh, a figure, uh, many, some people are thinking we should rethink the, the authority with which uh, uh, the executive branch uh, executes uh, foreign policy. It's, it's sort of haphazard, some of the decisions that the president makes. We're pulling out of, of Syria, and then, then a couple of people quit and protest, important people of his, of his uh, administration. Then a senator has lunch with him, and he's rethinking it. I mean, oh my goodness, it just seems very um, scattered, uh, not thought out, uh, not planned, uh, and, and uh, I think some people are thinking we need to, to restructure uh, the way that we administer and carry out foreign policy, make decisions, and, and put in harm's way our, our wonderful uh, men and women in, in uniform. It's, it's chaotic at best. Governance. Um. You know, politics and governance go hand in hand. Uh, sometimes when you go from the campaign trail, and, and Dan can sort of speak to that, can seem really divisive and nasty, which it frankly can be. How do they go from that to then governing? Um, they actually do it better than I think is sort of understood sometimes. But I think governance, you have to sometimes think small um, and go small and build trust. Uh, you know, building relationships where, you know, we all use social media and the news cycle is is so quick and, and is driven, you know, there is sometimes a day will seem like there are 20 news cycles in a day. But if you're committed to getting something done, it requires building relationships. And sometimes it requires building relationships with people who don't necessarily agree with you. So I would say one of the most important things is start small, build trust, um, be diligent and dogged. Um, build support, and that's not always just through, you know, social media and all of that. It actually requires getting to know people and talking to people. So it might sound small and sort of quaint and sweet, something my sweet English mother would say, but it's the reality of how you get things done. And I, I, I agree um, 100% with Antonia, and I'll broaden it out and say um, we need a president of the United States who reveres the office in the Constitution. You need members of Congress who are willing to compromise and work on real issues, substantive issues. And then you need the American people who are willing to continue to hold all of their legislators accountable for what they do and they don't do. So if you take the Antonia School, combine it with the Jonathan School, <laughs> you, would have, you would have a functioning uh, and well-run country. Um, I would actually get really granular um, after Jonathan so eloquently sort of gave us that, that vision and, and talk about not just who's running our country, but what are their incentives and how do we think about uh, ways that they can be accountable to all voters and not just a tiny segment of them. So one of the things that came up in discussion last night when we were um, discussing with a big group of students was the impacts of structural change and, and what those things could look like. So to get really granular, I would say that thinking about how gerrymandering impacts governance is a huge one and one that uh, feels like an achievable, concrete thing that we can do to make a difference in how government and those who govern us are incentivized. So uh, thinking about redistricting, what that looks like state by state, it's a long process, but one that I think is very worthwhile. So 
And I would just add, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we could speak in particular as a key piece to this, but we, uh, the country is now fortunate that there are, are 43 brand new members of, of Congress on the Democratic side. Thank um, you, Dan. <laughs> that we all, that, that across the country, across the country. Um, we were 17. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, but, but what I'm incredibly excited about is 22 of those 43 come from Trump districts, districts that, that President Trump won during his candidacy in 2016. Um, as Ileana pointed out yesterday, uh, that, that, that forces a, a, a moderate debate, that forces compromise, that forces people to come together and really think about what's best for the country and, and, and put sort of politics and ideology to the side. So I'm incredibly heartened by that and um, um, I think that will, will be a catalyst for change. Great, well, thank you all for taking, taking the time. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to sitting down with all of you individually and diving a little bit deeper into all of these. But I know you all have a very busy schedule with your media blitz of Georgetown. So um, thank, you. thank you all for joining me today. Thank you. listening to the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate you giving us a rating and review. It means a lot and really helps us reach more people. Of course, we can reach more people if you share with your friends and family, colleagues. That's always appreciated as well. Um, Thanks again and look for more podcasts throughout the semester.